Hello, welcome to episode 22 of We Don't Talk About the Weather, mm. um, political discussion that to the uninitiated may just sound like screaming and crying. I'm Adam, and I'm here with you. Hello. And we're here to talk about this week's news. Yeah, the yeah. main news being that you invaded Poland. I invaded Poland, yes. Um, there was a plebiscite on Upper Silesia, and uh, I've, no, I went to Poland for a wedding this week. It's my first holiday in, God, I don't remember how long, first time I've been out of the country in at least three or four years. Um, yeah, I went to Poland for a wedding. It was, uh, it was really nice. Good. I, I really liked it. I thought I'd get the, you know, the source of the Brexit vote, hmm. uh, what I'm told, on the, on the doorstep. Um, what I'm told as to why people voted Brexit. They said, there's too many foreigners. And when they said foreigners, they mean Polish. And so I thought I'd go to the source. When you are in Poland, yeah. did any Polish men like take the things that were literally in your hands? Uh, they did, yeah. Um, a lot of people, um, there was a lot of build, a lot of people hanging around on street corners, mm. uh, taking my Britishness, taking my sovereignty, mm. and uh, replacing it with uh, pan-European cosmopolitanism. Did one of them hear you say Christmas, hit you, and scream Winterville in your uh, face? They did, yeah. They insisted I use the word Winterville. Um, they insisted I dance around the Maypole. Mm. Um, even though that's an English tradition, I don't quite know where that fits in. Is, but... it, in- is it English? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty... Is it English? Or uh, is it like... it's, 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 I mean, it's a pretty pan-European like yeah. pagan thing, but uh, yeah. Um, no, it's a lovely, lovely place. Um, what did you learn about Poland? Um, I learned that the Polish state, so the, so the wedding I went to was not a, a religious wedding. Um, it was between, um, a person of, uh, Indian, Indian heritage and a lady from Poland. Um, I've learned that the secular state Polish wedding service <laughs> is a bit like a Hallmark card that is very, very keen to remind you that gays can't get married. Um, it's 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 totally like um, it's like all of these kind of very romantic sentiments about mm. um, marriage is you know a, a lovely bonding between two people and it's very much for between two people two straight people <laughs> man and a woman for the procreation of children man and a woman create the family man and a woman <laughs> it was like okay I get it. All right, gays can't get married in Poland. I kind of like, like. I get where you're coming from. I kind of like hell. that. I think in countries where they don't have gay marriage, that all of their marriage tradition should be explicitly exclusory, just to remind like straight people that you know what, there's a huge amount of people that can't have this. Yeah, it's don't interesting. Forget. It's interesting that these like uh, specific phrasings and the state's interest in marriage in. Gov- in countries with right-wing governments only really, really cared about stating that marriage was between a man and a woman after uh, gay people decided to start pressing for the rights that they are due. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting, that. Hmm. Um, but, you know, it was a lovely service. I was in the middle of rural Poland. Um, it's a bit of a different wedding service to English. It's more kind of like... Um, there's kind of like it's it's as boozy as an English wedding, mm. but uh, but it goes on till the early hours. There's like bottles of vodka on every table. Um, you're expected to kind of drink and toast, and it's it's all it's all good. It was a, a, a really great time. Like I went to um, Poznan, um, which is quite an old kind of university city, and it's like it's it's fucking beautiful. Um, How is Poland for its anti-Semitism? I hear it's terrifying. Oh yeah, I sent you this, didn't I? Um, so yeah, there were a few. I had to look this up. So I was wandering around, kind of the tu- the usual kind of tourist ta- tables, you know, yeah. fridge magnets, 
um, for some reason, mock-ups of knives. <laughs> um, Shirts is like I went. My um, my son went to post Poznan, and all he got me was yeah. This. But they've got the they've got the super kind of um, they've like as a country that didn't exist for three hundred years mm. in the early modern period. Um, uh, Poland has a really kind of is is desperate to prove its Polishness. Mm. It's got a very kind of pronounced sense of of nationalism. Mm. Um, it seems seems to be anyway, and they've got this really weird tradition that I couldn't get on. I'm not sure I'm fully on board with it now, but <laughs> so they've got this thing with the the Jew with the gold coin. Okay, <laughs> it's a bold opening statement <laughs> that I'm not going to say is not anti-Semitic. <laughs> But probably isn't quite as anti-Semitic as it might. Going on Polish be. history, I'm going to side with it's probably super anti-Semitic. It's so a lot of houses have this. Um, uh, I saw a lot of, of portraits of what look like typical, typical uh, caricatures sh- of the Eternal Jew. No, it's not. It wasn't even quite like that. It looks like kind of medieval Middle Ages merchants. Hmm. with um, pouches of gold. <laughs> and I have been informed, since hmm. I've come back, that this is quite a standard thing in Polish houses, that they have pictures of merchants with gold. And by merchants, they're, Ju- <laughs> they're Jews. They're Jewish moneylenders. But it's a kind of um, talisman for like good fortune or something. <laughs> It seems super fucking anti-Semitic. It's just going going to places where I see bearded men, like like paintings and pictures and 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 as it turns out, fridge magnets of <laughs> bearded men grinning with pouches of gold, like going ha ha ha, <laughs> taking the gold out of their pouches and like slotting it into the thing. Um, <laughs> Sounds fine. It, that, that you wouldn't immediately identify all of those pictures as particularly Jewish stereotypes. But actually, coming out of it, so it's 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 considered a typical, apparently a Polish tradition to have a picture of a Jewish moneylender in your house to guarantee like fiscal fiscal <laughs> success in the year, and it has to be put like, like put on the the left side of the door when you come in, and it has to be there's something about it has to be turned upside down on Wednesdays and Saturdays, which I assume is some kind of like trading day thing from the Middle Ages. Super up. But it's super fucked up to walk around, like I say, these tourist tat stalls and see little magnets of. It was a. a I'll, I'll try and put the. I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to put it on the Twitter, <laughs> but I'll, I might try and put it on the Twitter as the picture for this episode. The um, like a, a kind of Felix the Cat smiling face, <laughs> dressed up as a Hasidic Jew with the curl curled hair and the, and the cloak and everything, and yeah, it was very very odd. I'm gonna assume. That it's super anti-Semitic, mm. based on the picture you sent me of the synagogue next to your hotel. Mm. Synagogue that the Nazis yeah. turned into a swimming pool. Yeah, there's a, a we were in the hotel and the the there was a, a building next to us, kind of run down, and we were wondering what it was. There's a big plaque outside. Swimagog. That says, um, a swimagogue. Yep. Um, it was a the former synagogue in the Jewish quarter in Poznan that had been um, torn down by the Nazis, emptied out. You know. As they as they all want to do, um, and turned into a swimming pool, and I think since then it's been left empty as kind of a monument. But the the really weird thing was the the plaque on the outside was um, this is a monument to the Poznan Jews who were um, uh, killed by the 
German occupiers in 1939 to 1945 by the German occupiers. Not by the Polish occupiers, by the, the German, German occupiers. Ones. Just the, the German, German ones. I'm not sure if everyone listening to this will understand. The German occupiers of Poland seem to have got there, you know, in the 20s. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, it's, it's one of those weird things. It's like, I know, like, Eastern Europe has such a... Has such a complicated a, 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 relationship a, with Jews. No, 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 no. I'm not even talking about the Jewish thing, but like attribution to this was like I I haven't actually looked it up. I, I I will look up the history of this area now. I've been to it, but a lot of Poland was actually just German territory. It was mm. mostly German things. So I couldn't say, I couldn't tell you necessarily yeah. that it wasn't that it wasn't German speakers in the in the town that was just when uh, Hitler kind of took over as chancellor. It wasn't part of Germany. Mm. I actually don't know, but um, yeah, there's a weird kind of. Um, and I mean, we were seeing a lot on the news. We weirdly enough, when we tried to access YouTube on the like hotel TV, the news and politics thing was blocked off. You couldn't get to it. You get to all the other, the entertainment and music mm. and all that, but you couldn't get to the news and politics. And you couldn't get BBC World on the TV. Are they free BBC World? Was I just you could get all the Italian and German channels, but you couldn't get the English channel. It might have been a technical fault, mm. but being in Poland at the moment, you certainly get a certain sense of um, paranoia about what's going on. Because, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you know this, um, everybody, all our listeners, um, there's been quite a bit of um, a constitutional, there's a bit kind of a constitutional crisis going on in Poland at the moment where the the ruling hard right Catholic um, law and justice party uh, are trying to basically rewrite the constitution. Such a name. Yeah, I know all the good names. <laughs> They're not really good names, though, are they? Because no, I think like law, so that, law seems like a good thing. Yeah, justice well, seems you, like a unless re- you're an anarchist like me. Yeah, but law seems right. Justice that seems good. But any party that calls itself law and justice, what's the um the Turkish one? Uh, well, the Turkish one is the. Um, uh, Justice and Development uh, Party. Yeah, that yeah. seems fine. It's not. <laughs> yeah, Erdogan's party, the, the the current ruling party of Turkey. I think it's definitely a um, a modern development where you call your parties really obvious things, <laughs> and they're totally not about those things. Yeah. Whereas if you've got like the People's Democratic Socialist something, mm. you know kind of what it's about. Yeah. But they're not kind of stating on the surface what their policies are because mm. you've got like the People's Democratic Republic of Korea and then you've got the um, Democratic Republic of Korea. Now we all know that the Democratic Republic of Korea is fucking bullshit. It is. People's Democratic Republic of North Korea, however, awesome. is the good Korea. <laughs> well, I love Nutrient-Filled Clay. <laughs> They're in a, yeah, but I mean, I, you know, Poland is in a weird kind of position at the moment. Um, there were nationwide protests while I was there um, about the desire for the ruling Law and Justice Party to basically extinguish the distance between... Uh, they're, they're looking to have the government appoint judges rather than independent, have an independent judiciary. Hmm. This has gotten so serious that the EU are actually talking about um, chucking Poland out of the European Union because you have to ad- adhere to certain democratic principles, liberal yeah. democratic principles, uh, if you're going to be in the EU. Um, I think over the weekend the president of Poland said he was going to veto this law, but... I mean, it's a weird kind of mirroring of positions as well because the Law and Justice Party splintered out of 
Solidarity, which in the 80s was a, um, an anti-Soviet... Which, well, the Soviet Union fell. No, no, it was before the Soviet Union. Oh, yeah, it was just before that. Yeah, so Solidarity um, was a a left-wing trade union political party in in the country where there were no other competing political parties to the Communist Mm. Party. Um, And Solidarity held strikes, held protests, and were, I mean, on the flip side, were kind of taken up by such... uh, revolutionary uh, allies as Ronald Reagan <laughs> and uh, the Chancellor of Germany and the Pope um, were taken up. They used them as a weapon to beat down the their their kind of geopolitical enemies. Yeah. Um, and Solidarity were ostensibly a left-wing trade union that kind of, after, after communism fell, didn't quite come through in the same way that a lot of their supporters thought but well, no, they cowed out to the IMF and privatised everything uh, yeah yeah so as as happened in a lot of post although I shouldn't say kowtow kowtow so no no yeah. that's fine I think that's an appropriate that's an appropriate word for that yeah right. yeah I think so kind of kowtow to the our present neoliberal masters hmm. um, but Obviously, Solidarity didn't do as well in the post-Soviet elections. They splintered into a number of different groups, reflecting, frankly, their very splintered kind of base. Law and Justice Party came from that. A couple of um, identical twins called uh, Lech and Yaroslaw uh, Kaczynski. Identical Um, twins. Yeah, they were identical twins Hmm. um, who founded the Law and Justice Party, which is kind of a hard-right Catholic nationalist, Polish nationalist party. You need to get back to, you know, they're all get back to the, the real Poland, the real Poland that has existed all this time <laughs> and was just suppressed by communism and yeah. by the Germans and whatever. Um, it's kind of a weird thing. They kind of posit the idea that there's been a liberal elite or uh, 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 after after communism fell, the communisms weren't fully the communists, the mm. ones who were responsible for it, weren't fully purged. Because they view communism less as a social system as more and more as individual like bad people mm. um, and they have kind of campaigned and said that decommunization never fully happened. all the communists are still in charge, all the liberal elites and foreigners are still in charge, and make uh, reform for the good of Poland impossible um, and they just happen to look like the fridge magnets. And yeah, it's a weird way of saying Jew, isn't it? This <laughs> cosmopolitan, wealthy elite who don't have any loyalty to country or creed. Yeah, it is another. It's a. It's the same. Even if it's not. Even if they're not like hiding the fact that they mean Jews, they're kind. They come from the same place. It comes from the same place. Um, the weird thing about it is that one of these identical twins, Lech Kaczynski, was uh, president of Poland up until th- 2010 when he died in a plane crash um, when he was coming back from a uh, Katyn massacre um, memorial service from Russia. Hmm. Russia was then blamed because obviously Poland's on the border of Russia and was yeah. blamed for kind of trying to undermine um, Polish sovereignty as it is today and Yaroslaw Kaczynski his his brother his identical I, I say this again his identical twin brother took over and is much more the bom- more bombastic and more kind of we've got to get these liberals out of uh, 
out of our system. Poland sounds great. It has a weird, I'm, I'm frankly, it has a weird kind of, um, I mean, it has its own history. It has the Law and Justice Party for its own domestic reasons. But you can't deny that it's definitely of a kind with Britain, with mm. Brexit. Because it's that same kind of, there are people at the top interfering mm. with what could be your inherent natural greatness. And if you only got them out of the way, we'd be great. The You'd difference able... is in Britain, the people who are saying that. Are the people who yeah. are saying that, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, to be fair, in Poland, I think that's mostly true as well. Yeah. But yeah, I, I get what you mean, yeah. <laughs> hmm. So yeah, you ate a lot of sauerkraut. Yeah. It's a good time, though. Yeah, ate a lot of sauerkraut. There was a beautiful moment when there was a... Uh, we were at a kind of barn in the middle of rural Poland mm. having this wedding, and there was a big thunderstorm rolled in. Um, everything got blacked out, and um, there were just candles on the tables and all... Polish people started singing uh, Polish folk songs and old Polish factory songs. It was pretty fucking great. About to get rid of the Jew. <laughs> I did not recognise any of what they were saying. They could have been singing that. They but... could have been singing Catch the Jew, Catch the Jew. <laughs> catch the Jew by his toe. What's that Borat thing? I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's how I've spent my last week. So what's what else has been going on in the news? Um I well need, I, need, I, I need to catch up. I got to I'm I've got a level seventy bard in Final Fantasy. Okay. And I've started playing Elite Dangerous. Oh fuck. I want to get that. I want so to that's, get on that. that's yeah. that's the news. Um and that's the end of the week. Um, yeah. Thank you no, for um, listening, everybody. Uh, um there's been some stuff happening. Yeah. Don't want to talk about Macron for a fourth week in a row, so I'm just gonna say, look at what Macron's doing. The man's a fucking animal. We've been told. We've been yeah. told. I think it, it probably makes sense. We'll give Macron a rest this week. Yeah, but he... yeah, Just have a look. He's doing bad shit still. What else happened? Um, um, so I've, I've got a couple of things here that I frantically scribbled down looking on Guardian when I actually finally got a Wi-Fi signal. Um, <laughs> so Jeremy Corbyn made a speech this week. Uh, made a, a, Gave an interview this week Yeah, he to um, Andrew Marr on the Andrew Marr programme um, about Europe and kind of trying to clarify Single his position market and free movement. on Europe. Um, so he's his position on the EU is both n- nuanced and difficult because I mean frankly as a political operator you can see that he's trying to hedge his bets well he's not in charge of the negotiations he doesn't really know what level to go in he wants he he's making the sounds of I want a good functioning economy within the present system, hmm. which, if you're going to get elected as Prime Minister, maybe makes sense, um, but at the same time is not committed to any specific um, measures on what he would like that post-Brexit solution to be. Well, the um, Jeremy Corbyn's been anti-EU for most he's of been, his life. I would say he's been Eurosceptic. I wouldn't say anti-EU. He's been EU-sceptic. He was against us joining... yes. He's pretty much always been in favour of us leaving. <laughs> no, he hasn't had. I don't think it's no, been an issue. He's always I, been kind of like on the. I don't um, know Bob what Crow he's always been like. He had. The left. They definitely had the Eurosceptic moment in the seventies and eighties with the um, the Michael. Well, Ford. the Labour Party was the eighty two. The eighty two manifesto, Labour manifesto, promised to leave mm. um, the EU. Um, imagine such. Lone is the longest suicide note in history. Imagine such crazy thoughts as leaving the EU. Um, but yeah, he's had a, a kind of a left-wing Brexit position for a while. Yeah. Um, but he 
he was talking about ending free movement. Mm-hmm. He's still not really in <coughs> favour of ending free movement. Let what me, did he say? Let me just let me just read out what he said. Uh, the single about the single market. The single market is dependent on membership of the EU. What we've said all along is that we want a tariff-free trade access to the European market and a partnership with Europe in the future. The two things are inextricably linked. So the question then is the kind of trade relationship of the future, and we have made it very clear we want a tariff-free trade access with the European market. That's like the minimum he can say to appeal to the kind of liberal sentiment about the EU. They they still want cheese. They still want trade. Right? I don't want free trade with Europe. I don't like free trade, I don't care. <laughs> I mean free trade as a weapon, yeah. yeah. But he's talking yeah, he's talking medium term. Yeah. Um I will apologise for him on that. I will not apologise for him on what he says about freedom of movement. Hmm. Uh what he says was it would be a managed thing on the basis of the skills required. What there wouldn't be is whole-scale importation of underpaid workers from Central Europe in order to destroy conditions, particularly in the construction industries. You prevent agencies recruiting for jobs like that. You advertise for jobs locally in the locality first. It would be on the basis of on the effort, the economic need and skills required. The need for nurses with it, for nurses is huge. We have to be sensible about this. That's what okay. he said. My problem with that is my view on. Immigrant labour lowering wages mm-hmm. is that immigrant labour is a great tool for lowering wages, and that is used by the bosses mm-hmm. to they and they do they there there has been plenty of instances of agencies who pretty much only recruit from abroad. There are entire there are entire industries that only advertise yeah. for immigrant labour. My problem is there's no need for him to even have said that. Mm. Because all he needs to talk about is raising the wage. Yeah. Raising wages. Yeah. Because it's never immigrants that lower your wages. It's bosses who will pay you less. Who pay you less. Yeah. Or yeah. refuse to pay you your wage because they can get it cheaper. And he's sort of wandered into this. Yeah, and he's that's saying how stuff. I feel as well. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. wandered into it talking like, I imagine he does, uh, say his Cuba Solidarity Garden Party. <laughs> He's to- like, the thing is, he is right in the, in the general sense. Immigrant labour is used to lower the conditions and to find ways around local laws about minimum wages and minimum work standards. However, you're not helping that by demonising the people. That no. And I don't think he is demonising them. No, I, think I don't he's think very he's... careful. However, you have to pay attention to the rhetoric around anti-immigrant sentiment mm. in this country. It's gotten very, very bad. Yeah. You so... cannot, what, as, you, as you said... You can't wander willy-nilly into the minefield of anti-immigrant politics Mm. without being very, very careful and very supportive of the actual immigrants themselves. Mm. Because if you don't, what you say just gets turned, just gets turned, like put into the tabloid mill of Mm. hatred for, uh, like xenophobic hatred for outsiders. Mm. Yeah, Um, I think he did a stupid thing saying it. I think it was dumb. I think, if anything, like the weird thing is, people, the the response from a lot of liberal columnists was, "Oh my God, he's against the single market." Oh yeah, and he's against freedom of movement. Mm. But their their championing of freedom of movement is kind of ironic when, before the election, they were very much for, "Oh, we need sensible controls on immigration," which yeah. is which is coded dog whistle shit. Mm. Well, when they whenever you have liberal people talking about sensible controls on immigration, mm. they what they and it's general the liberal consensus on 
freedom of movement. Mm. The kind of migrants they want are educated white people. Yeah. They're okay with the German immigrant who comes to teach at university, but they're yeah. not okay with a Nigerian immigrant who comes here to work in a shop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a dodgy one that he. Yeah, I just. It's very. I don't. I don't deny that it's incredibly difficult, um, and it requires an incredible amount of nuance. I mean, he's obviously. I I kind of picked up on this in the um, election campaign as well that he is kind of scared, not scared, but he is wary of every element of the kind of metropolitan liberal. Uh, stereotype that he's been tagged with which mm. he he has certain elements of but he is not and the no. stereotype in any case is not truthful no but he does need to support immigrants because any of that the language by now is so polarised and so charged yeah. that he needs to make it clear what fucking side he's on yeah, he needs to make it incredibly clear that he's not on the side of vans driving through Tower Hamlets telling people to fuck off home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure he is like that, but he also, I don't even think he can be the kind of um, new Labour, tough controls and immigration and extra, you know, thir- you know, a points-based system, anything like that. Well, no, a points-based system even, even is if racist he, anyway, but, I mean, because even, a points-based yeah. system it is just code for... <coughs> a points-based system is just code for... Um, white educated workforce. It's it's it is interesting that the coal immigration debate, because the debate around Brexit and around the EU has always been based around a lot of the rhetoric is based around sovereignty, and by which people mean the thing they've been told that immigrants are doing to yeah. their lower already lowering living standards. Mm. That's what they've been told, and that's they're saying you're poorer because there's too many Pakistanis or mm. whatever. The government response to this, the state response to this, is always to promise kind of harder borders, whatever that means, um, tougher immigration controls. And having actually gone through immigration this week, I can tell you that the tougher immigration controls is consist of just making going through an airport as unpleasant as possible. Not harder, Mm. just super unpleasant. Longer queues. Um, it's not even the longer queues. Like I was walking through. They will be. I don't think you remember. The, um, they, they were really long. I, I was on. I was on some uh, long queues and everything. But so they automate the um, the immigration process, yeah. presumably to accommodate the masses and masses of immigrants. I do not understand because most of the most of the booths that I saw in the long line under the banner that said British border. Mm. Uh, were not occupied. They just yeah. had three machines They're operating. Empty. They're operating so it isolates you, it alienates you. And there was a little thing I noticed when I was coming through. They've got one of those video displays um, that tells you how to use the automated passport checker system. And the voice that mm. came over was saying, you know, lay your passport on the upside and stand on the yellow footprints, mm. right? To, to get your photo taken. Um, the voice wasn't somebody who'd recorded the message it was a robot voice. It was a, a computer-generated oh, voice. Horrible. Now, the only reason they would have done that, because it must have been cheaper to just get a, v, a VO yeah. artist in to record it, the only reason they did it was to just make that process more alienating. <laughs> so when Corbyn is talking in these terms, when he's talking about 
um, immigrants coming over here and taking over whole sectors. Well, he's not talking about that, but he's talking about whole sectors being staffed by immigrant workers. Mm. All he's doing is feeding into a kind of un- general suffering and unpleasantness that immigrants feel, mm. migrants feel when they're in Britain. Mm. And that's something he has to be wary of. He hasn't gone completely over the border. I'm not like... Oh, he's, no. he's not gone completely over the line. I'm not, I'm not like absolutely criticising him for it, but he... Well, I don't, ne- I don't it's, think it's, it's just I don't a, think he's a racist. Um, not at all. No, no, no. I don't even think... I don't arrested even, for not being a racist. I don't even think he's particularly anti-migrant, but he, no. given the rhetoric that's going on now, he needs to be n- as nuanced, as careful, as... Uh, yeah, as, as as careful as possible, while also reiterating the fact that uh, not only are migrants welcome, but migrants are a benefit, and mm. and and you're an, you're an open country, you have open borders, mm. because we're not that we're not that country yet. No, we're not going to become that country yet. No, and yeah. Well, and the other thing he did this week was, well, there's been a lot of hassle and and complaining about him going back on a on a pledge that he made about getting rid of student debt but he didn't if you're listening to this you know he didn't do that yeah it didn't happen and it's just this it's just the tories have run out of bullshit to hit him with Mm. so they're going for that you've also got a lot of really obnoxious tories pretending that they give a shit about immigration and are accusing jeremy corbyn of being anti-immigration now well that's the whole thing that i was i'm kind of getting like there's a kind of a, a whole class of liberal commentator Mm. And we always end up focusing on the liberal commentator because they're the most obvious and easiest yeah. enemy right now. But yeah. um, they always come back and say, oh, look at him. See, he's not so good. Mm. And it's like you were literally the people proposing controls on immigration on a mug not yeah. 18 months ago. Yeah. You are. You don't actually like that. You're just using it as a club to beat him. Mm. And don't get me wrong, the left... Because uh, the easiest way of Jeremy Corbyn losing a lot of the enthusiasm from the hundreds of thousands of people who have joined Labour and joined Momentum mm. since he's become leader is to take a is to not be clear on where he stands on migration mm. because it's a very very touchstone issue that he needs to be fucking clear on. Mm. Um, but yeah, you were saying about the tuition pledges thing. Sorry, we're, but yeah, well, he said back about into the well, the thing is, he said he wanted to he um, the debt that people who've got who've got student debt it's an absurd amount of debt and it's yeah. unfair and he'd look into it so there were two yeah there were two prongs to it's his absurd. to his universe university tuition fee pledge no no there wasn't no no, no, no hold prong. on hold on i know i know there okay, are two there are two issues with tuition fee pledges generally mm-hmm. one is lo- uh, abolishing tuition fees for future students the other is um, abolishing the debt that previous students have um, racked up from tuition fees. Now he promised that he would abolish tuition fees for future students, but he said he would look into mm. tuition abolishing the tuition fee debts for students who've already gone through the system. And he only said he would look into it and this is being taken uh, this is being used as yet another club to beat him mm. with that he never actually said that. And mm. I, I, I don't want to equivocate here. I believe it would be a good thing, I think, if they should... Oh, no, find, they should. They should if they could find them, if they could... If they if they can get the money... I mean, I don't like getting into the whole if you can find the money, then you should do it. Because, frankly, the money fucking exists. Mm. The money is there. You can't walk down Kensington without tripping over 
hundred pounds, hundreds and hundreds of pounds worth of merchandise and stuff in mm. the shops. So the money exists. Mm. But trying to tar him with a policy that he didn't propose at the same time as the Conservatives are rewriting their, their manifesto. manifesto and also hammering Corbyn on not promising to get rid of tuition fees when, you know, they're actually in government. Yeah. With some, and could do that, have the power to absolve that debt. The thing is... It's just, it's just fucking hypocrisy of the worst kind. Realistically, the debt should be gotten rid of. Mm-hmm. Because the vast majority of people aren't going to pay off that debt anyway, mm-hmm. and the government is going to pick up the tab anyway. I'm sure as hell fucking not. Well, exactly. Paying that off at 50 quid, 50 quid a month. I mean, I was lucky in that I got into tuition fees in a fairly low-level course in a fairly low-level university. Mm. And... I didn't have as much to pay as people will now. Hmm. You know? But, yeah, we're going to pay for it anyway. Yeah. So we might as well just do it. Because it will just... It will make it easier. And if you're going to argue it from, like... Even from a disgusting capitalist standpoint... Yeah. It will make it easier for them to plump up the housing market. I mean, if you're talking on a liberal capitalist level, if you're talking about making the system functioning better, which is not the entire point of no. what what our podcast and what we're, where no. we're coming from... Um, on a sheer good governance level, it was a bad policy. Mm. It shouldn't have it's been enacted. Policy. And if you get rid of it, you're abolishing a mistake that was yeah. made. Because all that all that is happening now, so the student loan company was a GovCo, mm. a part owned, uh, a majority owned government private company. It has since been privatized, and there have been occasions of um, the student loan company selling these loans yeah. to. Pri- uh, uh, more like privatized loan companies. Um, it's what happened to my wife's student debt. Yeah, because um, there was a lovely point when she had two separate companies coming for her because they'd sold off her debt, they'd split it in half, mm. and so she managed. We managed to pay it off, mm-hmm. but she was paid double It'd the rate cheap. that she should have. Been. It would be cheaper for the state to pay it off now yeah. than for all of us who, after all, make up the state. Mm. To um, pay it off later because yeah. we will. There are interest charges. People are making money off of this when they shouldn't be. Yeah. But that's why he should have said that we should get rid of debt. But he didn't, and they're he, attacking him for stupid. Here's reasons. the things: he should have said it, but he didn't, and attacking him for not saying what he didn't say <laughs> is fucking ridiculous and really speaks to the level of discourse that we've gotten to in the dying days yeah. of this government. Okay, you know? so what have we got next? So, more Labour Party news, because frankly, the Tory party's falling apart. Well, they're not doing um, It's fucking great. Um, they're bumbling around. So, there was a, a, a group formed this week, um, oh, last week, uh, a group of MPs, of count, uh, MPs, councillors and activists, who say that, they're part, that the Labour Party have to urgently attract voters across England. England? So, yeah, there's a consistent strain of the Labour Party that, since the fall of Blairism, has been trying to focus the Labour Party more on England than it has been on Wales and Scotland. It's because they don't need to focus on them, because Wales will always vote for them. And, as we see with Scotland, Scotland will always vote for them. Yeah. Until they're offered a better alternative, and then they jump shit. It turns out most people will vote for something that offers them the best alternative. I would have thought that would have been straightforward, but... The group includes the usual suspects, uh, John Denham, John Crudus, Liam Byrne, Shabana, oh, Ma- Shabana Mahmood. Oh, she used to be my MP. Um, John Crudus can 
Fuck off. Yep, they are launching the English Labour Network to try and address what they John claim Kratis is a was major problem the, for the party. John Credis is one of the founders of Blue Labour. Yes, he was the um, architect of Blue Labour. Yeah. So what it is, they've argued, they've taken, basically they're a strand of the Labour Party who've taken on board um, right-wing talking points that were themselves recycled from Thatcher and from the neoliberal turn in the 80s. To argue that Labour is too cosmopolitan, too focused on migration and immigrants, and needs to get in touch with its English socialist roots. Its <laughs> national socialist roots, if you will. I love the idea of, it's too cosmopolitan, caring about the, the working conditions of people in Carmarthenshire. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, it's the it, it is the same sub it is the same um, the same the usual suspects. Yes, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's oh they can fuck off. The thing is, Wales was starting to make a movement away from the Labour Party. Jeremy Corbyn brought them back. Yes, because he actually offered them the things that they wanted from the Labour Party. Yeah, he didn't offer them anything specifically. No, but they but were he hoping... offered everybody something. Yeah, and. I just does Sean Crudders think that what we need is something that appeals more to people in Dagenham? Because fuck Dagenham. Um, so John Denham wrote in a in a blog post to launch this uh, this group. Um, if Labour had polled as well among English voters as we did in the wider population, Jeremy Corbyn would be Prime Minister already. Labour had a similar proportion of support among voters in England as across the whole of England in 2001, but a gap had grown since. It had fallen back among older working-class voters living outside the big cities who had seen good jobs disappear but found rapid migration disconcerting. They are strongly patriotic, believe in community and contribution, and, like it or not, were much more likely to vote leave. We won't win their support by simply waving St George's crosses, but by respecting who they are and showing we understand their fears and concerns. This is a okay, very, off, very typical line off, of the Labour Party. George right. Cross, on this podcast, we do not refer to it as a George Cross anymore. It's the Blood Cross. The Blood Cross. Yeah. The same way as we refer to the Union Jack as the Butcher's Apron. It is the Butcher's Apron. Um, they can fuck off. Do you know why Labour vote isn't... It's like it's better in the Celtic part of this country than in the English part? Yeah. Because the English working classes have been bribed for so long mm. that they will just they just love their bosses. Gonna be harsh there. But yeah, the, the English working classes, they're not the same. I think it's just a it's just a basic kind of kowtowing to again what I was saying about like they've taken on board the they've taken on board the Thatcher line, which is that the English working classes desire a a patriotic nationalist, ultimately cap, national capitalist um, outlook hmm. that they're all budding entrepreneurs and that all they need is a specific brand of Toryism hmm. to vote in a particular direction. Now, not only is that I believe that is wrong, but I also believe that it's a fucking dumb electoral strategy. Oh, yeah. And here's why if you have two opposing parts, supposedly opposing parties, hmm. offering you like. Patriot, whatever fucking patriotism means, or what in a, in an advanced capitalist society that means the cultural signifiers that you need to put out there. So, Owen uh, Owen uh, Owen Smith talking about not usually drinking cappuccinos, or somebody having a go at croissants mm. that you can buy in every fucking Tesco Express from here to fucking Carlisle. Mm. Um, 
about not liking specific um, uh, foods, drinks, things like that. And basically appealing to a kind of low-level anti-immigration sentiment. Mm. And you've got the other party, the Tory party, saying, we also believe this thing, but we'll actually do it because Mm. that's what we are. That's what we've always been. You come across as weak source. You are the weaker version. It's triangulation all over again. Mm. It's we'll take the Tories' party's policies... And we'll give you give them to you, but we'll be slightly nicer. And it's like, if you're in a position where you believe that the Tory party policies are will benefit you actively, whether that's helping you or harming your enemies, why the fuck would you vote for a weak version of that? Yeah. It's fucking insanity. Well, one of the reasons... Okay, Labour would have probably won the election yeah. if a load of what had used to been Scottish Labour seats had gone back to being Scottish yeah. Labour seats. If they, well, okay. If they just deselected a huge section selection of Scottish Labour mm. and made them toe the party line, they probably would have done a lot better in Scotland. Do you know how what will make the Labour Party do really badly in Wales and Scotland? Yeah, talking about England every day. Yeah, yeah, because that's so dumb. They can they can, like. What we've just seen in the last week is rail electrification has been cancelled in Wales. Yeah. And it's been cancelled in some of the north. The news has covered it in the north. It hasn't covered it at all in Wales because no one gives a fuck about Wales. But you know who does care about it? People in Wales. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, a... Like, they, they talk very carefully in this, in this blog post about... Um, they respond to um, the worries that this obsession with uh, ill-defined Englishness hmm. meant, means making concessions to racism and xenophobia. Um, he added, it doesn't and will help show how. He then doesn't say anything. <laughs> it, it, I, don't, I don't know what he expects will happen because they've already fucking tried it. Hmm. I know, funny, well, they yeah. tried it with Blair and Brown and with Ed Miliband. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't fucking work. No. They know it doesn't work. So I've been, uh, I had this, uh, my attention drawn to this uh, book by uh, Stanley Johnson. Yes, you may well know him from the late Ottoman Empire, (laughs) but actually he is the father of Boris Johnson, the Foreign Secretary. This book got like... uh, uh, Got a lot of coverage. Got a coverage on like the the Today programme, got covered on, I think it was the one show as well. I think they just wanted a Johnson there. They, they're yeah. not going to get Boris at this point, but they just or wanted... Or his sister, who's horrible. Uh, yeah, editor of uh, Lady, the, the Lady magazine for a while, wasn't she? <laughs> it's that an actual magazine. Oh yeah, you know that. It's, the it's Lady. Like, it's like Tatler, but with slightly more social grace. <laughs> Only just, slightly. Just think the kind of person who has a subscription to Tatler, The Lady and The Monocle. <laughs> So Stanley Johnson's novel is called uh, Compromat. That sounds good. That sounds yep. promising. Sounds very, very now. Yes. Very now as the go-to only Russian word that liberals seem to be able to use about Donald Trump. Mm. Um, it's a comes from a kind of Russian term for compromising materials used to blackmail public figures uh, in foreign countries in order to gain some kind of politi- political advantage. Um it's described as a political thriller which will imagine the skullduggery which may have gone on behind the scenes internationally in the run-up to the EU referendum. <laughs> the, most or- 
the most audacious geopolitical coup since Genghis Khan and his swall, his hordes, swept a... across Asia into Europe. That wasn't a political coup. It very much was a political coup. Are you telling me pouring silver into the mouth <laughs> of your enemies is not, in some sense, political? I just love the idea of I believe Genghis John Khan... Stuart Mill wrote on something similar. <laughs> I just love the idea of Genghis Khan being turned away from the House of the Parliament because he, had, he wouldn't refer to someone as the Honourable Member for... <laughs> Selfridges or something. <laughs> um, so I've only got I've only got the sample because let's face it, I'm not going to pay for it. Mm. Um, but I think it really uh, it really uh, it illustrates the the point of this. Um, <laughs> um, so we go down the cast of characters for the United States of America. We have Ronald C. Craig, Republican presidential candidate and later U.S. president. Spoilers. <laughs> it's just Ronald C. Craig not, not Reagan. Ronald Reagan not Reagan let me tell you it's not Ronald Reagan so Ronald not Reagan uh, Ronald not Reagan Brandon Matlock US President <clears throat> outgoing uh, Malvina Craig Ronald Craig's wife you might say Malvina's slightly a, a slightly untraditional American first lady's name hmm. uh, slightly foreign sounding and you'd be like right like Melania um, I wouldn't like to comment um, Dirk Goddard, awesome. Attorney General, Bert Rumbold, Ronald Craig's campaign director. <laughs> the Rumbold. Bud Hollingsworth, director of the CIA. Um, Sandra Lomax, uh, Julius Lomax, former US congressman. Bill Whitelaw, congressman. Pedro Gonzalez, federal marshal in Florida. Jimmy Redmond, ditto. <laughs> that's actually I didn't make that up I, that's actually that in the cast of characters um, Jack Varese movie star Jack Varese Jack Varese movie star Russia Igor Popov <laughs> Russian president Fyodor Stefanov FSB St. Petersburg Pavel Golov director of the FSB Moscow Ling and Kong two Chinese agents in St. Petersburg <laughs> Ling and Kong Yep. Where and does Boris get his racism from? I don't. I don't understand. No. I don't. I really don't understand where no. it comes from. Um, and at the end of this, two Russian ladies of the night. <laughs> because Stanley Johnson, if you couldn't tell by his buffoon son, <laughs> is pure old upper class buffoon. Yes. Uh, Germany, Helga Brun, Chancellor, <laughs> Ursula Hauptmann, Chancellor's main aide. Dr. Otto Friedrich, German Minister of the Interior. To be fair... Dr. Otto Friedrich. already doesn't sound anywhere near as good as that porn film Hard Brexit. <laughs> I don't know, it does sound like the... Uh, like kind of the cast of characters from the next Wolfenstein. <laughs> Doctor, you must face down Dr. Otto Friedrich. Well, see, Hard Brexit had characters... Oh my God. Oh yeah, it's um, like Donald Dump. <coughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Oh yeah, instead of Putin it was put it in. Nice. <laughs> Vladimir put it in. Nice. Oh god. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just staring at that picture. <laughs> um they have a number of Chinese uh characters. Professor Wong, archaeologist in Xi'an. Look at him using all of his the Chinese names he knows. All of the Chinese names. Wong. Wong <laughs> Chang <laughs> Ling. Zhong. <laughs> um, 
You have Edward Barnard, MP, Secretary of State for the Environment and later Chairman of the Leave Campaign, still later Chancellor of the Exchequer. We're not going to have anyone who's involved in the Leave Campaign um, <laughs> in our government. That would be insane. <laughs> Owen Griffiths, Joshan Gupta, employee of MI5. Jill Hepworth, employee of MI6. Andromeda Ledbury, MP, Leave Leader. Miles Pomfrey, MP, Leader of the Opposition. Monica Fall, MP for Blythe. This is fucking brass eye names. Yeah, they This are. is great. Lord Middlebank of Upper Twaddle, Conservative Grandee. That's, if you were going to make up a that name. That isn't actually written down. That's totally... Look. Oh, my God. Lord Middlebank of Upper Twaddle, Conservative Grandee. You're not going to make him the Labour MP for, you know, South Derbyshire, God. are you? Um, Monogo Abewa, MI5 interrogator. Interesting kind of thread already in the cast of characters. All of the security services are ethnic minorities. <laughs> hmm. hmm. Interesting. What are you trying to say with that? They're just more willing. They're just more <laughs> willing to, you know... It's just, it just comes naturally to them. Um, HRH Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. That's the most ridiculous fake name I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> Gennady Tikhonov, Russian ambassador in London. <laughs> um, and then you have a number of uh, kind of Australian, Irish, Brussels. Okay, uh, so there's a lot of. Laszlo Ferensky, Prime Minister of Hungary. Jacques Petit, President of France. Martine Legrand, French presidential candidate. <laughs> so big and little, all represented in the French political scene. Um, <laughs> Turkey, Ahmet, Ahmet Ergun, President of Turkey. He just kind of ran out of names yeah. by that point. It's like, Erdogan, I can't say Erdogan. I'll just like truncate his name. <laughs> He also has a section for key animals. Key animals? Um, he's an animal, animal. He's like a big... He's a big time... Uh, Stanley Johnson is a big time uh, environmentalist. Kind of, mm. I would say, conservative environmentalist. Mm. But, you know. Um, Amur Tiger crosses border into China. Helga, Tiger Cub presented by President Popoff to Berlin Zoo. Jemima, Edward Barnard's bay mare. What? Uh, the horse, oh, horse like, yeah. a bay mare. Yeah. Sydney Funnel Web Spider. Atrax Robustus. <laughs> okay, I mean, that's just listing animals. I just love the, the cast of characters. <laughs> A Sydney Funnel Web Spider. <laughs> uh, his author's note reads, Compromat is, to use an old-fashioned term, an entertainment. Although the book borrows from recent events, it is a very loose oh, borrowing, being self-evidently a work of fiction and satire, and not a work of history. An antidote to the maxim that truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> Readers of this novel should not conclude in any way that any living person misbehaved in the manner that some of these characters in the book regrettably <laughs> seem to have done. <sighs> Alright, here we go. Chapter 1. Jack Varese, winner of the most recent Best Actor Oscar, was late. Very late. Sitting, <laughs> sitting in the front row of the celebrity audience in St. Petersburg famous, Vincent Petersburg's famous Marinsky Theatre... Russia's long-serving president, Igor Popov, muttered to an aide, Where the devil is he? We're going to have to start without him. I remember the Russian accent halfway through that. <laughs> Popov glanced across the aisle to where the German Chancellor, Helga Brun, 
stared stony-faced at the empty stage in front of her. Who could this be about? I don't get it. <laughs> next to her was China's Prime Minister, Liu Wangji, and next to him, in the VIP lineup came India's Prime Minister, Navab Singh. <laughs> Just have Stanley Johnson racking his brain. I need an Indian surname. I need an Indian surname. Sing. I was in the shower and I was singing to myself. And then it came to me. Um, President Popoff was about to go up onto the stage himself to explain the delay when there was a sudden commotion in the wings. The loudspeakers burst into life. Ladies and gentlemen, the guest of honour, Jack Varese, has arrived and will address the gathering. So sorry, the American began. We were delayed by headwinds on the way over from New York, so we had to refuel in Helsinki. Guess I should have flown Aeroflot after all. Or else Ron Craig here could have brought me in his Boeing. But hell, I like to fly my own plane. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Varese beckoned Ron Craig up onto the stage. This is a man who wants to help save the world's tigers. So I said to him, Welcome aboard, Ron. Your help is sorely needed. President Popoff needs your help. So that's why we're all here, to support the World Tiger Conservation Action Plan, which President Popoff has launched tonight. Within a few moments, Varese had them eating out of his hand. Popoff sat back in his chair and relaxed. This, <laughs> this World Tiger Summit had been very much Popoff's own initiative. World Tiger Summit? Yep. You know, the things that world leaders go to. Tiger summits. Yep. Um... He'd been very much Popov's own initiative. A passionate outdoors man, he liked nothing better than to be photographed bare-chested in field and forest, preferably with a hunting rifle in his hand. Who is this man? Of course, there were some animals he didn't shoot, and the fabled Amur tiger was one of them. <laughs> Who could he possibly be? There were still a good number of these magnificent beasts left in the wild, way out there in the Russian Far East. Some of them, indeed, were so far to the east that they sometimes crossed the Usuri River and strayed into Chinese territory. Someone's looked at a map. <laughs> One map. <laughs> One specific map. The previous day, in a tete-a-tete with China's President Li Wangji, Popoff had said, You may have killed and skinned all your own tigers, Mr. President, but kindly keep your hands off ours. Your accent's delightful. It's way. so good. Like, I, I have worked on it for literally minutes. <laughs> um, when it was Popov's turn to speak, he kept his remarks short. Today, ladies... Oh, oh, shit. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are adopting a World Tiger Action Plan. Yes, there are 450 Amur Tigers left in Russian Siberia. Yes, there are maybe 3,000 tigers in India. Yes, there are tigers in Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand, Myanmar... Bangladesh, and so on. But believe me, those tiger populations will be extinct unless we take action now. Later that evening, the presidents and prime ministers of the tiger range states, whom Popov had personally invited to St. Petersburg, gathered for dinner in the glittering splendour of the Winter Palace. Edward Barnard, MP and Secretary of State for the Environment, found himself by some quirk of protocol sitting next to Helga Brun, the German Chancellor. Barnard, an outdoor man himself, was full of praise for the way Popov had handled the event. I thought he would just look in and out of the meeting, but he put in three full days. He must really care. And he had some kind words for Europe. He acknowledged the help we have given with his tiger's cause. Helga Brun laughed. <laughs> okay, she's got some lines here. I don't... <laughs> You're not going to do a German accent. 
I can't do it after the Russian. As a Russian, I just slip into as a Russian, as a man who spent a lot of time training with the FSB um, <laughs> to be a counterintelligence agent. Yeah, I just slip into Russian too easily. Yeah, um, don't believe everything he says. Our people in Moscow tell me he's absolutely furious. He thinks we've backed Russia into a corner. From Popov's point of view, we've been running after the Ukraine the way a dog runs after a bitch on heat. We've been expanding NATO right up to Russia's border. We've imposed sanctions True. over Crimea. True. I admit, we have seen one side of President Popov tonight, the rather pleasant the rather pleasant side, but I can't help feeling we are going to see another side very soon. Popov is planning something big. Very big. You mark my words. The pleasant side. Because no dictator has ever loved like an animal like a tiger. <laughs> It's the same. What's going on here? What kind of fantasy fiction world we're in? Oh, you've told me. In a paragraph. Thanks. Um, seconds later, President Popoff himself stopped at Barnard's table. He was, Barnard guessed, around five foot eight in height. A trifle less, perhaps. Thinning hair, carefully pl- brushed back to cover a bald spot. Again, I have no idea who he's drawn this inspiration from. He's a fucking creative genius. Barnard bowed his head instinctively. This was the Russian head of state. Whatever you might feel about the man, you had to respect the office he held. <laughs> Just like the Americans did when they engineered the, ele- the Russian election in 1993. Yeah. Um, a lavishly decorated aide hovered at Popov's side. The president had obviously been well briefed. Please, thank your government for the support they are giving to the World Tiger Action Plan, Popov told Barnard. We very much appreciate it. I hope one day soon to come to London to show my appreciation in person. As the presidential party moved on, Barnard muttered to himself, Dream on! Reaching for another drink, he found it hard to imagine that Popoff would be making a state visit to Britain anytime soon, not in the current climate. Again, where this, <laughs> this imagination on this man, that a head of state would be so disliked that he would not be able to visit another country on a state visit is just incredible. Although some of his fellow cabinet ministers had joshed that his trip to Russia was a mere jolly, there was, after all, some important news to convey to the authorities back home. He had absolutely no doubt that, in their separate ways, both the Russian president and the German chancellor had hoped that he, Secretary of State for the Environment, would convey a message to London, and he was delighted to be able to do so. (laughs) (coughs) How things had changed in Russia over the last few years, he thought. In the big cities, at least, it was all bling and gizmos. (laughs) He's such an old man. I will remind you, yeah, that the author is is a very, very old man. Wi-Fi was everywhere. Even in a moving car 20 miles outside St. Petersburg, (laughs) you could pick up a signal, which was more than could be said for some of the outlying outlying areas of London. He's clearly (laughs) been in a car on one... He lives somewhere in Somerset, I think. Um, And he's clearly been on a visit to London and been on the M25 out and not been able to get a 4G signal. Yeah. And he thinks that and that means furious. London's way behind and not he was in a tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> um, not far away on the FSB control centre on St. Petersburg's Chernyavsky Street, Fyodor Stefanov, a tall, broad-shouldered man with a scar on his right cheek, <laughs> picked up Barnard's message as so- almost as soon as it had been sent. Did you find it from the big book of Russian fucks? <laughs> um, yeah, well, since Bond kind of stopped doing the Russian thing, it, they've been out of work. It's been a really hard time for large Russian thugs. With facial you know, scars? There's no other Eastern promises coming anytime soon, no. so they've got to find some work for them somewhere. He printed off a flimsy and walked quickly into the next room where his superior took one look at the text. I'm not sure what a flimsy, it's a flimsy is. I guess he means a flimsy piece of paper. Mm. Not even encrypted, not even the lowest level, 
What do they take us for? <laughs> oh, God. It's so good. He handed the flimsy back to the duty <laughs> officer. You had better get going, he said. Pass the word and make sure the women know what to do. <laughs> Stefanov rubbed his hands and smiled. <laughs> then all right. In due course, he would be well paid for the video he would offer for sale on the now well-developed market for such material. He always welcomed a little freelance action. He was saving up for that Baltic cruise with his new girlfriend. <laughs> oh, he'd know all about Baltic cruises with girlfriends. His son has probably told him all about them. <laughs> um, quickly go through chapter two. Um, Barnard glanced at his watch as he got out of the car at the Kempsbinski Hotel, 10.30pm St. Petersburg time. The night was still young. In London, it would be two hours earlier. Thanks for explaining to me that in some parts of the world, the time is slightly different from mm. the one you're in. He paused for a moment to pick up his key from reception. One of the newfangled plastic card affairs he rather disliked. Newfangled? <laughs> yes. You know, those plastic cards that you've been signing into hotel rooms for the last 20 years. <laughs> he headed for the bar. Ron Craig, the large, sandy-haired American who sat there with a glass of bourbon in front of him. A bourbon, like, bourbon's an American... If you don't know, bourbon's an American spirit. All Americans drink it all the time. They do. They only drink bourbon. If you offer them scotch, they'll throw it in your face. Yeah. And they'll say, get me a bourbon. Yeah. Um, if you offer them water, same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. If they're in a hospital and they, the doctors try and put them on a drip with saline, yeah. no. They'll say, no, American bourbon whiskey. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's an American accent. That is. Um... <laughs> Uh, sat with a glass of bourbon in front of him, had one of the most famous faces on American television. He hosted a panel show watched by millions. He was also running for president. Again, (laughs) this crazy alternate fantasy universe where a game show host runs for US president. I don't get it. Where does he get his ideas? Great to see you, Mr. Craig, Barnard introduced himself. I saw you at the dinner, but you were tied up with President Popoff and we didn't have time to talk. I'll just say this. Cuck. Um, Craig laughed. That Popoff, he's quite a guy. He heaved himself out of his... I'm not going to do that anymore. That's just embarrassing. He heaved himself. He heaved himself out of his chair and slapped Barnard on the back. Did you meet Rosie? Rosie's my daughter. She's passionate about wildlife, but she's also my right-hand man, if you see what I mean. Say hello to Rosie. She gives him handjobs. Barnard made a gallant little bow in the direction of a slim and lovely young woman sitting in a plush upholstered seat beside her father. So Stanley Johnson wants to fuck Ivanka Trump. Is that um, what I'm getting from this? Clearly, yes. Or at least wants somebody to be fucking Ivanka Trump. While he watches. Um, while, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to meet you properly, Mr. Barnard, she said. I was stuck next to that Chinese gentleman at dinner and I couldn't understand a word. Because he was speaking mm. Chinese and you don't. <laughs> Rosie's flying with us to the Asuri tomorrow in Jack's plane, her father added. You're coming too, Jack says. That's great. God knows where we're going to land. Barnard pulled up a chair. I'm just so pleased we were able to fix this up. I've seen tigers in India, I've seen tigers in Bangladesh, but it's been one of my dreams to see a a Siberian tiger in the wild. I told the Prime Minister that I wasn't coming all the way to Russia to a tiger conference and then passing up the chance to actually get out in the field to see one. It's going to be tough, isn't it? Cold too? Rosie looked a bit glum. Don't you worry, Craig patted his daughter on the arm. They'll have tents and a campfire. It will do you good. Do us all good. Craig slapped his tummy. I could lose a few pounds and a hike will help. Actually, it's happening anyway. If you hit the campaign trail in an American presidential election, you've got to work your socks off. We're not over the top yet. 
The contest may go all the way to the convention, but I'll tell you something. There's no way in hell that this train is going to be stopped. Oh my god, this is fucking appalling. (coughs) No, you just don't understand how Americans talk. (laughs) Um, You haven't watched any American cultural products ever. You haven't watched any American (laughs) interviews, television, pop culture, anything from America in so long that you've forgotten how Americans actually talk. Stanley Johnson doesn't watch TV, but I bet you he's read a lot of Raymond. The last, yeah, the last American, uh, you know, character you watched on TV, um, did they have bourbon in their hands? They didn't, did they? Therefore, they they weren't American. No, they weren't. Um, Imposters. Barnard was intrigued, more than intrigued, impressed. Even in the UK, even now, he was virtually home and dry. People were reluctant to take Ronald Craig's presidential campaign seriously. All that tweeting, all that tub thumping, the bombast and the rhetoric. They seemed to think that the style of the man was wrong, that it wasn't the way presidential candidates ought to behave. And apart from that, you seem to be smashing your chair up. They seemed that it wasn't the way presidential candidates ought to behave. And apart from the style, there was the content of the message. Build the wall, drain the swamp, lock her up. Strong meat indeed. Too strong for Does that actually write that? He he wrote that exactly that at the oh top there. Oh my god. Yeah. Too Who do you st- sue for plagiarising real life? <laughs> uh, I think God sues you when you die. <laughs> okay. Um, but, with, <laughs> but with Craig standing proud and manly before him, haloed in a swirl of feral testosterone, oh, yeah. Barnard could see how charismatic he might be oh. to a certain type of voter. <laughs> He's talking about the white working classes. <laughs> the kind that John Cronus wants. <laughs> but how had Craig found the time to come to St. Petersburg? Barnard found himself wondering a few minutes later, once the aura of the powerful man had dropped a notch or two. What kind of business did he have with President Popoff that was important enough for him to take a break from campaigning at this crucial stage? I think we know. <laughs> I think we know, everybody. Um... Wrapping it up here. 20 minutes later, Barnard headed for the lift. He felt decidedly woozy. Don't mix the grain and the grape, his father had always told him. (laughs) Well, he'd had a lot of wine at the dinner and several large tots of whiskey sitting there in the Kempinski bar. They were heading for the airport early the next morning for the long flight to Russia's Far East. He hoped to hell his head had cleared by then. (sighs) Two young and glamorous Russian women, dressed to the nines and wafting clouds of expensive perfume, drifted across the hotel foyer to join him as he waited for the lift. Barnard had noticed them earlier, sitting at a neighbouring table in the bar. Good evening, ladies, Barnard said in what he had hoped was a debonair manner. Going up to... I'm heading for the eighth floor. The two Russian women allowed their lips to curve into what, in this dim light, might also almost pass for a smile. Eighth floor, yes, that is good floor for us too, they purred. And that's the end of the... (laughs) I don't want to read that book. That book sounds fucking appalling. I just, it was just the fact that, like, I I kind of listened to it and it's like, there's no way he wrote a good book. And it turns out he didn't. No. Um, I heard him on LBC. Yeah. Because he's on LBC quite a lot. Mm. Um, Because, like, back when Ken was on Saturday mornings, whenever he was off sick, they'd always replace... Ken Livingston with Stanley Johnson. He doesn't seem like the worst conservative. Like, he's not... He doesn't seem... I might be completely wrong about this, but he doesn't seem, like, as outlandishly cruel as the rest of them, mainly because he probably doesn't have political office, but... Yeah, well, the 
the Tory party is a collection of some of the worst humans that have ever existed. Yeah, yeah. So it's not hard to be not the worst Tory because, you know, you're not Jacob Rees-Mogg. I think it's more interesting that this Edward Barnard character in the book is clearly fucking Boris. Yeah. Is clearly his own son. <laughs> you know, like a kind of uh, outdoorsy kind of a guy who doesn't really know what he's doing, That's a right. bit, it's, bit of a buffoon. Boris isn't that much of an outdoorsman. Like, there's the story no, that, he about him present... having an affair in um, Black Cabs. Um, he was having an affair with someone who was an opera singer. Okay. And they'd drive around St. John's Wood with playing in the radio. He did, um, they'd insist that they were playing in the radio her singing while they were fucking in the back <laughs> of the car while driving around St. John's Wood. <laughs> So, kind of an outdoorsman. <laughs> it's a, it's too, That's a rumour, I've heard. A rumour. It's too late for that. We're already sued. Thank you. Thank can, you for that. You can take all my monies. All my gill. <laughs> You'll have to buy him a Final Fantasy fourteen account. No, you can fuck off. It's part of the settlement. <laughs> so, what did you think of that? Did that make you feel any better? Doesn't sound good, um, but it's kind of funny. Um, I like the notion that there needed to be Russian influence to make Brexit happen. <laughs> like, like don't or I don't think that bombarding British people with the idea that Europe's behind all of their woes for forty straight years yeah. was quite enough. What we need is a compromising picture of a politician. Yeah. It's no, oh, that's so stupid. Because <laughs> that's clearly where it's fucking going. Yeah, <laughs> it's dumb. It's a dumb idea. It's a dumb idea for a book. Brexit mm. happened for what you said. It mm. was like yeah, forty years of straight. Hey, you tub- stubbed your toe. Mm. Polls did that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's it for this week. I think. Yep. Um, as usual, subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Twitter at wdtatw underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo, and you can follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. Um, and leave a comment, leave a like, whatever. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening, everybody. All right, cheers. Bye.